<laughs> what? You're listening to Unscripted with Mike and Chris, brutally honest sports talk. And now, here is Mike Jansen. As I mentioned at the end of episode 501, I had been out on one of my epic walks around Southwest Calgary yesterday as we uh, say hi and welcome you to this 502nd episode of Unscripted with Mike and Chris. We are here, and again, as always, I hope as things are going as well as they possibly can under these unique circumstances. But I was in the middle of uh, almost a nine-kilometer walk yesterday, and I was listening to two episodes going back to episodes 311 and 312. 311, Chris put on there and and titled it D-Day for Douchebag Day. (laughs) I love it. And then, so we went through, it was supposed to be original 10, and then I came to the party with 17 names, and Chris came to the party with 25 names. (laughs) So it's much easier to find living douchebags than it is dead douchebags. And how disappointing is that? And how disappointing it is, because I'd like to personally end some of these douchebags' lives. But it was funny because... Episodes 311 and 312 were in February of 18. And during both of those broadcasts, both of us had mentioned that we want to do a dead uh, douchebag list. So I sent a text to Chris after my walk yesterday about, hey, let's do uh, dead douchebags tomorrow. (laughs) And Chris is like, I'm in. So, but we both found it was much harder to find 10 dead guys that were douchebags than it is to find current living, uh, heart pumping, breathing douchebags. But we have compiled a list of our 10 and we both have 10. It was tough to get 10. Let me tell you, uh, we have a list compiled. Each of us have been compiled a list of 10 of the biggest douchebags in sports or not. doesn't matter. Can be, doesn't have to be. And uh, here on this 502nd episode of Unscripted, I've been looking forward to this, I guess, since February of 2018. I really thought, having listened to that episode yesterday, I thought that we'd have done it maybe in a month or so. Here we are two years plus later, (laughs) and we're doing it now. Looking forward to it. Do you want to start or should I? It's totally up to you. Uh, I'll go, sure. Okay, so what we've decided to do is we'll start at 10. Chris will give his number 10. I'll give my number 10, and we'll go in descending order to our number one douchebag, dead douchebag of all times, and we'll start with Mr. Fluke. You're number 10, sir. Thank you. At number 10, we've got Kobe Bryant. Ooh. Oh, okay. Why? Well, you know what? Just because of the Colorado incident, or? Not just. You know what? I was, this research, like we were talking off air, took actually uh, a lot more time than I thought it would. And I poured over every list. I I tried to reword my Google searches just to jog my memory. (laughs) Oh my God, me too. Yeah, it's like dirtbag, asshole, (laughs) jerk. Like, I mean, and then you have to go to like dirtiest player and cheaters and stuff. And you have to try and do all this stuff to try and find the right list. And I was shocked by how how few there were and, and what there was. Almost every list, I think maybe every list that I saw had Kobe Bryant on it. Mm-hmm. And now most of these were written before he passed away. Correct. And, and this is to not take away how tragic it was and certainly his daughter and, you know, all the grief and everything. And I know a lot of people are fans. But when I thought about it, I thought that I would be insincere 
if I didn't put him on the list. Because I think if we're being fair, he was known as someone who complained to the refs a lot and whined a lot and would cheap shot guys. And he didn't have a great reputation with other players in the league or who played against him or even with a lot of his teammates. Correct. Absolutely right. Just last week on episode 500, Sean Dode, our brilliant Vancouver bureau chief, he talked about how Kobe was an uncoachable player, how he basically was all about I and me. I mean, yeah, like the famous story was when, was it Shaq who said to him, there's no I in team. Yeah, but yeah. there's a me in that motherfucker. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly so, right. And, and then, of course, so, I mean, really, he was on that list, I think, largely for all these other things, too. And then, of course, when he does the Colorado thing, cheating on his wife and then giving her a million, a $4 million ring and everything has to be better. And he was just really, really full of himself. And I know that everyone acts like, oh, he's the reason I got into basketball. And I'm like, really? Is he really? And and then, I mean, he he, he had Shaq to thank for a lot of his championships. And I, I just think he deserves to really be on the list. You know, it's funny. It's still hard to think, though, because, you know, Kobe died January 26th. I don't disagree with anything you just said. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very, I applaud you and I'm proud of you for having the cojones to do that. Cause right now a lot of people wouldn't do that because of still too soon. I, maybe exactly. some people, but you know but... what? He deserves to be on this list. I thought about it, but I chickened out and I'm proud of you for doing it. But, um, number 10 on my list is art model. And I wrote here, I've got little notes about everything. Number 10, Art Modell, what this dick (laughs) did to the fans (laughs) of Cleveland when he moved his team to Baltimore in 1995 was terrible. The fans supported him with some really bad football teams, and all he did was screw them over. I remember this vividly because, and I've relayed this story on Unscripted before, but I remember at the time the mayor of Cleveland, Michael White, came on. He called in the general office line to talk to me because he wanted to say thank you for the support that I had given to the Cleveland fans and how much he appreciated my bashing of Art Modell because of all through this bullshit. And, you know, it's one thing if you move the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's one thing if you move the San Diego, Los Angeles, Tijuana City Chargers. But when you move a team that had been around a long time, I mean, the Cleveland Browns, not, we're not always in the AFC. The Browns and the Steelers originally were in the NFL, but when the AFC or the excuse me the AFL came in in 1965, they had to jiggle some things around so they could get the right number of teams. And Art Modell was was the owner of the Cleveland Browns for a long time, and he was a douchebag. And I remember the fans of Cleveland, who haven't had a lot to cheer about, has been documented probably a thousand times on this show, except for the 2016. Cavaliers championship the city of Cleveland has not had a lot to cheer about and this guy deserves to be on the list of 10 biggest dead or alive douchebags Art Modell number 10 well that was really happening right in your heyday on the radio in 1995 and you know what I got to tell you thank you I've got to tell you that this guy probably helped make my career because there were a lot of people that were very supportive of me and very appreciative that I said these things because, you know, a lot of people maybe believed the same things that I did, but, you know, you don't want to piss off the man or you don't want to, you know, do whatever. And, um, you know, I remember openly inviting Art Modell to come onto my program and explain why. Oh, he wouldn't do that. 
Well, I know, but I'm I'm sitting here. I'm oh, going, of course, you if you've got a problem with what I'm saying, Modell, then and because and I know Art Modell was listening because Mayor White said so, and when Mayor White was very was applauding me and thanking me for doing this, I offered to have Art Modell come onto my program and the two of us would have over the phone line would have a conversation. Never took me up no. on it, and and you're right, he never would, but you you know the the. The Cleveland fans don't get enough appreciation for how well they support their teams and what Art Modell did to the Cleveland Browns. Um, and, you know, when Cleveland, excuse me, Baltimore then won the 2000 or 2001 2000, Super Bowl, yeah. um, and you see that pompous prick up there on the on the podium after, and it just about made me barf. So Modell, Modell is number 10 on my sure, list. For sure. No, it's neat, it's neat hearing about some of these things that happened right when you were on the radio and I'm sure you had a lot of calls from Northern Ohio. Anyway. Oh, and believe and and you know what? Most of them on WKNR were very supportive of me. Oh, sure. And well, uh, because you know, I brought up salient points, and uh, you know, I think a lot of times sports owners, sports organizations, unfortunately, forget about the people that supporting or that support, excuse me, their respective organizations for sure. Yeah. All right. At number nine, we've got George Steinbrenner, who's a pretty easy one, and. You know what? He he isn't as mean and horrible, I think, as a lot of the people on my list, but he is just a douchebag. I didn't like the whole, you know, enforcing a, a military facial hair code on your adult, you know, athletes and stuff. And then, you know, really just not giving a shit about money and kind of ruining the league and really being a big part of why there's no parity and why there's a luxury tax, but not a cap. And I mean, he was just... He was really not good for the game. It was just really selfish for him and for New York. And he just wasn't a pleasant guy. He was just a big, loudmouth New Yorker, I sure, guess, really. Absolutely. Who actually was from Ohio. He's from Cleveland. Yeah, isn't that weird? But he became the stereotypical, like, he's exactly who you would picture owning the Yankees. And I mean, like, even to this day, like, you just picture that that's what, like, if you made a movie about the New York baseball team, even if it wasn't the Yankees, that's what the guy would be like, exactly. right? And so, yeah, George Steinbrenner, I just, you know, he's not somebody I would ever get along with personally. Let's put it that way. He just wasn't my cup of tea. And yeah, he just, he was, I just don't like these guys that, uh, you know, if he had ever lost all his money and had to work a normal job, it just, he he literally couldn't do it because yeah. he's such an egomaniac and, yeah, just, just not a guy I'd ever want to be around. I think I'd be really uncomfortable even being near him. Unbelievable businessman, I will say that. And think about this. The Yankees are up there in the stratosphere of the Dallas Cowboys on the Forbes list in regard to how much they're worth now. And remember, Steinbrenner bought the Yankees in 1973 from CBS Television for $10 bucks. Yeah, amazing. And now look what they're worth. Number nine on my list, um, I did not have a lot of exposure to hockey as a youngster growing up in central Wisconsin, but I did know and get to watch a lot of Chicago Blackhawks on WGN Channel 9 out of Chicago. And number nine on my list is, at that time, the owner of the Chicago Blackhawks with a guy by the name of Bill Wirtz. And thankfully, this piece of crap is gone, but him being so cheap was disrespectful to both his players and fans alike in Chicago and he is the sole reason that until the Blackhawks won a couple of Stanley Cups in the early 2010s, the Blackhawks had not won a cup since 1961. Cheap bastard. Yeah. 
I can't stand Bill Wirtz. Mm -hmm. He had some really good teams, but they never could make it over that threshold. They maybe needed one more guy or one more piece here, and that cheap bastard would never do that. And I think that was really disrespectful uh, to Chicago fans, and especially being the Blackhawks being one of the original six. I just think that was disrespectful. And so Bill Wirtz makes my list at number nine. Okay, perfect. Uh, at number eight, we've got Rosie Ruiz. We don't want to forget about women here. Women can be douchebags, too. <laughs> yes, they can. And I don't know if you know who Rosie Ruiz is. Yes, I do, do from you? the Boston Marathon. Yeah, won the, uh, allegedly won, uh, briefly won the Boston Marathon in 1980, and then it was real. She cheated and took a shortcut or only... It, it, I saw it conflicting reports or else she just stepped out of the crowd and ran the last mile, and they're like, oh, you don't even look like you're sweaty or anything. Is there something about this that just is tough for me because... I'm just not wired like this. Look, I know we've all been playing sports and we'll do like a tiny little thing. Like you're playing basketball, you bump a guy a little too hard or something. That's one thing. You're playing the game hard. You push the rules a little bit maybe or you're trying to get away with something little. But to just completely cheat in the most blatant way possible. And and this has happened throughout history in marathons. People mm -hmm. taking shortcuts and it would have been easier with less technology and, and all that. But... The thought of doing that, just it doesn't translate to me. I can't transpose that onto my own brain. I can't imagine seriously doing that, like just cheating and then running across the finish line and celebrating and taking the medals and the flowers and the adulation and getting my name in the paper like, yeah, you did it and you won and, and all the people that trained hard, you know, screw them and me. And I actually just with no shame, take credit for it. And mm -hmm. just that's the plan for the rest of my life. People be like, wow, he won the Boston Marathon. And I, I don't know what to say. Like it is, it is infinitely horrific to me that anybody could be that much of a narcissist or a sociopath. That is like, that is a terrifying level of mental illness. I don't believe it can be less than that. I really don't. I think that that is just a catastrophic failure of humanity and if people think i'm exaggerating i'm not this is not hyperbolic at all this is just a rotten human being and i'm glad she's dead uh, and i know there's other cheaters who have crossed the finish line i didn't see them all anyone else you can make them a tie uh, and i'm sure it's been more men than women probably as well i know there was some baker who did that back in the day that i had read about when i was a kid who like ran across in his baker's boots and he like you know, like just just stupid stuff. All of them are technically a tie with Rosie Ruiz, but I just it it's shocking to me that anyone could do that. Really. Well, yeah, and I I think that's a great choice. I never would have thought of Rosie Ruiz, and that's a very good choice by you. Um, on my number eight on my list of ten biggest dead douchebags in sports or not. That's the title of this segment or this this episode. I went a little different. I didn't go with one individual person that's a douchebag but the person that they were pissed off is pissed off at oh i'm gonna get a i'm gonna get a thing from the fcc because i said pissed off this guy is definitely dead i'm and my number eight is baseball fans in boston now they're not all dead but the guy that they had a lot of angst towards is dead and I'm pissed off at baseball fans in boston the way that they treated now deceased former first baseman billy buckner after his famous error in Game 6, the 1986 World Series was pitiful. It got so bad that Billy Buck had to move his family to Idaho 
to get away from all the bullshit that he was dealing with in Boston. And you've heard me talk about Idaho. Nobody wants to go to Idaho. Remember this. Yes, Buckner's error was critical in the result of Game 6, but the Red Sox still lost the lead and the series to the New York Mets in Game 7. So yes, Billy Bucks, you know, they were how many outs away from winning their first World Series? And uh, obviously, monumental error. But they still could have won the series if they win Game 7. And Roger Clemens started Game 7. And Bob Stanley lost Game 7. So, yes, maybe there shouldn't have been a Game 7. We all know. And Billy Buckner had a big part of it. But the way the Boston fans treated the now-deceased former first baseman of the 1986 Boston Red Sox was pitiful, disrespectful, and I will never forgive Boston fans for that because Billy Buckner was a good was a good baseball player and an even better human being. And the way that, that Boston fans treated him was total bullshit in my estimation. All right, so we'll make it a, a, a million-way tie between any Boston uh, uh, fan who is now dead. <laughs> sure, I'm in for that. I just had to say that because I just, I, I'm, I, I'm still obviously ticked off to this day. I got to meet Bill Buckner years ago at spring training, and he was a guy, uh, was really a good guy. He was not a bad guy, and he was a a career over 300 hitter. And, uh, you know, remember, Billy Buck was playing on only one leg for many of the last years of his life due to injuries. And and, uh, I just think the way Boston fans treated him was totally appalling and uh, I blame all Boston fans that had that that hate that hate on for Bill Buckner. He made an error. It's a game. Oh yeah. I mean, if he would have done that in the an early regular season game, no one ever would have remembered it. No one remembers it. So yeah. the fans of Boston that disrespected first baseman Billy Buckner are number eight on my list. Sure. Yeah, I don't know if you've watched Rounders yet, the poker movie. Probably. I not, haven't had a chance. No. But anyway, so my favorite movie. But yeah, at one point when when the main character has to go and redeem himself at the end and go back into the lion's den, basically, um, in, in this underground poker club, he says, I, I felt like Buckner walking back into Shea. And, yeah. uh, and that's, that's kind of how you sum that up. Absolutely. All right, number seven. I'm sure you'll know this guy. This is from back when you were growing up watching football. And this is a guy named Jack Tatum. And uh, he paralyzed Daryl Stingley. Oh, yeah. And... Uh, Tattooed his ass. Yep. Yeah, and so... He was just a jerk. A lot of those football players were pretty dirty back then in the 70s, but this was a preseason game, (laughs) which didn't make it any better. And what really made me decide to put him on the list, too, was he never, ever apologized for it. Exact. Thank you. Yeah. And on top of that, there actually was a time when the two of them were going to be uh, appearing on the same TV show together, and they were going to talk it out on the TV show. And then Daryl Stingley actually was the one who backed out because he found out that when Jack Tatum was going to appear and they were going to talk it out and everything, Jack Tatum was also going to plug his book while he was doing it. Call me assassin. Yeah, so it wasn't just going to be an apology. It had to be, oh, I got to plug my book too. And so he's like, I'm not being a part of this. And so they never did uh, talk. I I did see that Daryl Stingley, who also died, did say that he did forgive him in the end. But it... that was more, I think, just for his own benefit. I mean, because Jack Tatum never did anything to deserve any sort of forgiveness at all. He never made any effort whatsoever and just seemed like a rotten person. You know where Jack Tatum went to college, don't you? 
Wisconsin? No. Oh, God. No. UNLV? <laughs> the Ohio State oh, University. Okay. Well, there you go. Perfect. Number seven on my list, um, if you've ever seen the movie Eight Men Out, uh, is about the 1919 Black Sox scandal and, and the 1919 World Series. Number seven on my list is Charles Comiskey, the cheap and frugal owner of the Chicago White Sox back during the 1919 World Series, as I've just mentioned. There wouldn't have been a problem with gamblers fixing the series that year against the Cincinnati Reds if Comiskey would have just paid his players what they were owed. Some owners are just douchebags regardless of what generation they come from. And uh, Charles Comiskey is at the top of the list. There wouldn't have been a problem if he had just paid the players what they had contractually coming to them. He couldn't do that. He wanted to, you know, line his own pockets during that 1919 World Series. And Charles Comiskey... Uh, very comfortably makes my list at number seven. I probably could have had him lower on the list, but I've got a couple other guys that beat him. But Comiskey was a douchebag, and he was the reason, he was the reason, sole reason, why Shoeless Joe Jackson still is not in the Hall of Fame because of his role in the 1919 Black Sox scandal, and it all goes back to the owner, Charles Comiskey. Sure, and actually at number six, I have, and I know this is taking liberties, I have a four-way tie at love number six. I just had a million-yard tie. So. Yeah, that's okay. And so three of them you've already said, Art Modell and Bill Wirtz and Charles Comiskey are three of them. And with Comiskey, yeah, like he, he made the players wash their own uniforms. Correct. He sent them flat champagne when they won something. And yeah, he was just those that typical cheap bastard from back in the day. Just as I just I just get get so sickened by hearing about those guys, and you never hear about guys that were just super generous. I'm sure there were some, but you just always hear about these penny pinching guys, and they yep. thought they were so cool. And I just I just hate hearing about those guys. And I also had them. The fourth person is Bob Ursay. I figured oh, yeah. that I figured that all four were so similar. And it was interesting how. Bob Ursay essentially did a midnight move out of Baltimore. Yeah. And then Art Modell does a midnight move back to Baltimore. Yeah. So it was, you know, so the Baltimore fans have gained once and lost once with that type of thing. I still don't get how midnight moves are possible in pro sports. That doesn't make any sense. But yeah, he wasn't very nice either. And all these guys just... And I'm not saying that there aren't a couple more owners on this list. I'm, oh, just, yeah. I'm just saying that those four seemed... A, they're not exactly the same, especially when some are from 50, 100 years earlier, but... They were close enough that I just kind of stuck them all together. Number six on my list, um, and again, we thank you for joining us on this 502nd episode of Unscripted with Mike and Chris. We're going through our top ten list of uh, our top ten list of dead douchebags from the world of sports or not. And I'm stepping out of the sports arena right now with number six on my list, and I'm going way, way back. I'm going to Genghis Khan. <laughs> What? I'm going to Genghis Khan. He was born in 1162 and died in 1227. He was the founder and first great Khan, an emperor of the Mongol Empire, who came to power by uniting many of, it, of the nomadic tribes of Northeast Asia. His military campaigns were often accompanied by large-scale massacres of civilian populations, and became and because of that brutality of these campaigns, which left millions of people dead, he is considered by many to have been a genocidal ruler. But due to his exceptional military successes, Khan is often considered to be the greatest conqueror of all time. And all I'm going to say is that anybody that he is the leader of killing millions of people, he deserves to be on this list. And yes, I know it was a long, 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 long time ago, but I'm trying to 
I'm trying to, you know, uh, enhance my surroundings and, and, and go outside the box. And this moron deserves to be on the list. Anybody that kills over seven figures of people deserves to be on this list. Okay, no problem. I kept You my, said I could go. Yeah, you can do whatever out, you want. Outside outside the world of sports and I just did. No problem at all. I mean, then yeah, then you start getting into like Hitler and all that for oh, sure. Oh, I I've, I've got a place for him too. Yeah. So, my list personally, I just decided to keep mine to just sports, but I mean, that's totally fine at all cuz I mean, geez, I could go off forever on some of those tyrants throughout history for sure. So, okay, but for me, I'll take uh, This is what number 5 for you? Yeah, I'm going to go on to number 5 here, so I went with Al Davis. And uh, not a very nice man, uh, was was horrible to Pete Rozelle, benched Marcus yeah. Allen for two years, to, basically to try and, you know, win that dispute, tried to make Lane Kiffin look bad so he wouldn't have to pay him and all that, like, I mean, just fired him in a weird way, and was just a weird, creepy dude, and I don't think there's many people that are sorry he's gone. His son is a creepy weirdo too. <laughs> creepy dude. And I mean, like, it's just like, what is going on with that whole family and lineage? It's just really strange. They don't really seem like they're hu- that human. You know what I mean? They just, mm-hmm. they just seem different. So they're like aliens or something. So I don't know. But uh, Al Davis, uh, I know a lot of people were, I, I would say, actively happy when he passed oh, away. For sure, no question. I'm going back into the sports world for my fifth choice on my top ten list of uh, top douchebags they're dead dead douchebags from the world of sports or not number five on my list i've got to actually i'm pretty proud that i thought of this myself i really did i didn't go on google or anything for this one walter o'malley former owner of the brooklyn and then the los angeles dodgers and why is this guy a douchebag you may ask well when he moved his brooklyn dodgers franchise out to los angeles in 1958 the way that he treated the Mexicans living on the land in the area where the new Dodger Stadium was ultimately built and completed in 1962 called Chavez Ravine was appalling. Physically moving people from their homes against their will into almost like prison camps and then bulldozing their homes takes some of the shine off what is arguably the most picturesque stadium in team sports to this day, and I blame Walter O'Malley for that. Um, I think that was an asshole move. I think that was a douchebag move. And yes, we all love looking at Dodger Stadium in picturesque Chavez Ravine. And I can sit there and just hear the voice of Vin Scully saying, Good evening, Los Angeles, and welcome to Chavez Ravine as the Dodgers take on the San Diego Padres tonight. And as beautiful as Vin Scully could spin it, it still pisses me off how Chavez Ravine was built at the expense of people that were taken forcefully out of their homes and their homes were bulldozed so you could put a 60,000 seat baseball stadium in the middle of a ravine and uh, that again takes some of the shine to me off of and again I get this because I lived in Los Angeles and I've been to Chavez Ravine and Dodger Stadium hundreds of times but the story just leaves a really bad taste in my mouth as to way as to the way those people were treated and um, again Glorious stadium, still beautiful to this day, but there is a real dark, deep backstory to it. And Walter O'Malley was the New Yorker that was behind this, and I think he deserved to be on this list. Sure. Well, that actually segs nicely into my number four. So speaking of horrible racist people, and then also going back to earlier, speaking of 
you getting angry phone calls on the radio from Ohio in the 90s. We go, we combine all of that into Marg shot. Number four, the second female dead douchebag on my list. I was shocked when I was doing my research today uh, because with her, I just finished putting her in this morning. I was blown away to see that she was 75 when she died. I thought she was 100. Yeah. Literally. I literally thought she was for sure well into her 90s. Maybe, and I, I, part of me thought she'd actually had her 100th birthday for some yeah, reason. And you know, I, I know what you're saying, because when I first saw a picture of her with Shotzi on the field, and she was 58, but at that time, she looked like she was 88. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Like, think about... Like, Chain like, smoker. Like, you're 58 in not that long. Three years. Yeah, right? And so... You look better than Mark Schott did when she was 58, but like... I don't know to take that good or bad. <laughs> her, uh, her whole face and body looked like a badly made bed. Like, yeah. I mean, she was just a disaster. And I think it's not just being a chain smoker, but just being a horrible, rotten person. Yeah. Like, I can't even picture her just like going and relaxing and having massage and going in a hot tub and going to the spa and having a nice sleep. Like, just... She just would have been rotten every second of every day. Never should have had anything in life. Was just very fortunate to like to be an owner in pro sports. Never. She should have just been sitting somewhere by herself, you know, yelling at clouds. Right. And, <laughs> yelling and, at clouds. And I love that. Just a just a rotten person, and nobody was sad to see her go in two thousand four. No question. Number four on my list, and this will be surprising to some people because I actually truly liked this guy. Oh, wow. This guy was really a nice guy to me personally. But sports professional sports owners hate this guy. Marvin Miller. I personally like this man as I interviewed him numerous times on my radio program back in the 1990s, but this guy was the brain's behind the creation of unrestricted free agency in baseball, starting with the Andy Messersmith and Dave McNally cases in 1976. Those two pitchers won the right, with the help and influence of Mr. Miller, to be granted un as unrestricted free agents, dramatically changing the landscape of all professional sports that we enjoy today. I remember Mr. Miller told me that he felt he was, among sports owners, especially in baseball, the most hated man in professional sports. Oh, he was that guy that really, yeah, brought in like the age, the age of sports agents right. and negotiating, and right. and then did he also help lead to true collective bargaining? Then essentially, you are correct. Yeah, sir. wow, interesting. This guy changed the landscape of professional sports that as we know it today, and this guy was the forefather. He started with baseball, and uh, you know there are some people that probably think he's ruined baseball and and all of professional sports, and and of course. You got guys like Scott Boris and 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 uh, Drew Rosenhaus and other idiot you know agents like that, and uh, if you want to, you can blame Marvin Miller, but he was just doing the best that he could for his clients, and obviously he changed the scope of professional sports back in '76 with the landmark case of uh, Marvin Miller versus baseball. That's what it was, and uh, directly responding to Andy Measuresmith and Dave McNally. Measuresmith at the time was a pitcher of the Dodgers. Dave McNally was a pitcher with the uh, Baltimore Orioles. Measuresmith ended up signing a big contract with Ted Turner with the Atlanta Braves. Dave McNally actually went north and signed a big contract. Well, you know, again, big in 1976 with the Montreal Expos. 
but they only got to do that because of one Marvin Miller. And Marvin Miller, not a douchebag to me, he treated me beautifully and was always, you know, always uh, receptive to my calls and always tried to work with me in regard to, you know, when uh, uh, I needed him on my program. But there are a lot of people, especially owners today, that think Marvin Miller is a douchebag. Interesting. This just brings me back to the whole union versus, you know, owners argument. And it's still a big part of society. And, you know, it, it really comes from these guys like Charles Comiskey who mistreated people. Because if you if, if owners always would have just been great and, and paid their guys and paid them fairly and uh, enough and not been these penny-pinching misers and being cheap and making them do stupid stuff, like, you know, even, even in the 70s, like Don Cherry talked about, you know, when management with Boston would, was it Harry Sinden would, uh, I don't know if it was Harry Sinden or maybe it was even before that, but there was some owner... Uh, or GM or someone who was like they'd have the players um, help put the peanuts in bags for the concessions. Oh my god! You know what I mean? And like, oh, it has to be exactly twenty peanuts. And like, like just dumb shit like that. And if it's not for that, then you don't. Of course, eventually, and maybe it won't hurt those guys. Maybe they just get to die as rich old men. But eventually, you're going to get this pushback. You're going to get a Marvin Miller or a Union or something because you're just being an asshole. Because in theory, unions shouldn't be necessary. Correct. Right? If society's fair and, and owners are fair and, you know, management does the right thing for everybody and isn't just completely self-interested, you don't need these checks and balances. But they come up when you get assholes like Charles Comiskey. And and uh, then, then they, des- they deserve to deal with Marvin Miller for the rest and, and all the fallout from that until the rest of time. They deserve it because they were assholes. And yeah. so, yeah, so so good for Marvin Miller for sure. Uh, number three uh, has to be on any list. I am expecting him to show up on your list here, but we have to go back a long time to infamous asshole Ty Cobb. I would love to do this list, by the way, uh, again in a few years, and and maybe at that time we'll get to put on O.J. Simpson and Vince McMahon, and just uh, maybe some of those people happen to be on John there. Manziel. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe so that would that would be fun. Like if we had a list and like. All the people we want on there are on there. That would just be beautiful. But uh, a, sh- a shocking number of douchebags are still alive, unfortunately. <laughs> but Ty Cobb is definitely not alive. He's been dead for a long, long time. And, uh, you know, obviously known for sharpening his spikes and then sliding and trying to hurt guys. Uh, racist and just a rotten person. And really, I think the one... And, and this is shocking for someone that's 100 years ago. We just talked an episode... 500 about how a lot of these and even before that uh the week before about how these idiots not putting michael jordan on their top five list they just don't have an appreciation for history and it's like they don't they don't even know michael jordan never mind bill russell or oscar robertson right so it's really amazing that despite a lot of people only kind of knowing things from their lifetime that when you ask for an asshole in sports or in baseball ty cobb always comes up Like nobody else, other than if you're talking about great baseball players, yeah, like Babe Ruth will come up. But other than that, like you don't have just, you know, mainstream people just busting out guys from 100 years ago on these lists all the time. But Ty Cobb somehow knows, uh, has figured out a way to make it. So good for Ty Cobb. (laughs) Ty Cobb. All right. Number two on my list is Aaron Hernandez. 
Nice. And, and uh, that was kind of an easy one for me. We know he's dead. We definitely know that. But, I mean, <laughs> responsible for probably killing three people, two over a spilled drink, and uh, just a rotten guy. I, I, I hesitated a little bit purely because it, see, it sounds like he had re- really advanced CTE, even more oh. than a lot of lot of guys and i mean you know in fairness like i didn't put some other i didn't put anyone else that i know had cte on the list because i didn't want to but i have to say with aaron hernandez he just seemed like even if he didn't have cte yeah he's like unlike some other guys and i don't even want to say any names but other like some other guys i feel like the brain damage completely changed them as people whereas with him I just feel like he was just a douchebag all the way through already, and uh, the CTE didn't help matters. So yeah, just a just a rotten, scary, horrible person who had the whole world, and he just gave it away over nothing, and just over just petty bullshit from watching too many rap videos or something, and just just an asshole, and just uh, just just glad that he did the right thing at the end. Okay. Um... For my last two, I'm going to combine both of them. So I'll, I'll, um, sure. Well, I'll do my last two, and then Chris can wrap this up with his number one on his list. But my two are uh, simpatico, and unfortunately, a lot of different reasons and a lot of different ways. Number two on my list, Osama bin Laden, architect of the 2001 Twin Towers disaster in New York City, as well as the disaster on the same day of the Pentagon in Washington D.C. Reports also show. The infamous Flight 93. There was a movie made of Flight 93 that was supposed to go crashing into the White House on September 11th, 2001. But instead, because of some great Americans on that flight, they fucked with the terrorists that had overtaken that plane and it ended up crashing in a farmer's field in Pennsylvania. And uh, he finally died on May the 2nd, 2011. And the reason I put that date here is because of number one on my list. And this one is a is for me is a is a no brainer. It's Adolf Hitler, easiest asshole to choose on this list, killing over six million Jewish people over the duration of World War II in his Nazi concentration camp. Coincidentally or not, Hitler died on the same day as Osama bin Laden, May second. The only difference is Hitler died on May second, nineteen forty five. Osama bin Laden dies on May second, two thousand eleven. They died on the same calendar day, 66 years apart. So I think from now on, May the 2nd is now known as Monster Day. I think that, uh, I just, I don't have anything more to say, but I think it was really ironic in my research, even though I screwed up really royally on Don King, I think it was really prudent that these two individuals die on the same calendar day. Talk about irony. That is weird. Holy moly. 66 years apart. Yep. All right, well, my number one, and again, I just stuck with sports personally. That was a personal choice I made. But uh, for me, uh, my number one is the Dynamite Kid, Tom Billington, from the world of professional wrestling. One half of the, I've heard of him. One half of the British Bulldogs died a couple years ago, finally, and was just a rotten, miserable prick. <laughs> would, would just uh, hurt guys in the ring for no reason when, I can tell you, as someone who's trained in professional wrestling, you know, the other guy's safety is your absolute biggest concern, and to then... Uh, you know, not honor that is just horrible. Even the great Mick Foley, when Foley was young, you know, basically asked in a match, hey, can I get this one move in? And the guy's like, oh, yeah, sure, you can. And then he just, like, acted, like no-sold it, acted like it didn't happen, and then broke Mick Foley's jaw. And, of course, Mick Foley is to this day regarded as the nicest person in the history of professional wrestling. Uh, when Bret Hart was uh, ha- was supposed to blade himself, cut himself in a match as he was cutting himself, 
uh, Dynamite Kid kicked his hand so to, to make the cut worse. Um, when when Brit- when the other half of the British Bulldogs, the British Bulldog Davy Boy Smith, was kind of starting out and wanted help injecting steroids, Dynamite Kid put milk in there instead of steroids, so he was injecting milk. Um, Dynamite Kid broke his niece's kneecaps for insurance money. Just a, just a rotten, horrible prick. And it's too bad because the guy was one of the most amazing wrestlers. Even if you put his matches today, they're, they're fantastic. If you watch in 1982 in Japan, him against Tiger Mask, the matches are so far ahead of their time. It's like, it's like a time machine. Like it does, they would be amazing by today's standards. And, and they're back in 82 when matches are like, even Hogan's not big yet. And then he comes out and just starts doing crappy punches. He was so good. He was just one of the greatest ever. And he was just such a miserable prick. And then he he wrestled such a high-impact style that he really wrecked his body quite young. And for the last bunch of years in his life, he was he was in a wheelchair. And he was a miserable prick when he was healthy and buff and had everything going for him. I can't imagine what a rotten, miserable prick he would have been sitting in a wheelchair in a room for a decade or more. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Dynamite Kid, Tom Billington, a real shame because, man, was he good in the ring but just a horrible person outside the ring. And uh, I'm, I'm just so glad that that finally ended a couple of years ago. Good list, appropriate list, and I enjoyed doing this, and I look forward to doing it again in a couple of years. Um, maybe, I don't know, episode 800, and uh, by that time, hopefully a couple others have... Uh... <laughs> we'll, we'll monitor the headlines, <laughs> and when sufficient things have happened, we will revamp our list. <laughs> Oh, we got to run on this 502nd episode of Unscripted. Uh, Thanks to everybody for participating. And obviously, we ask that you continue to support us on the 18 different ways that you can listen to Unscripted. And please go on to one of those 18 uh, different functions and please subscribe. The The subscription numbers are up. And the only way that they continue to go up is if the people that haven't subscribed can take a few minutes to do so to Unscripted with Mike and Chris. Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.